Hello, and welcome to the Blizzard Watch Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Rossi. I'm a year older, although really I'm not. I'm a couple days older, but you know how it works. Uh, today was my birthday, so we're going to just do this show in honor of my birthday. No, we're not. We're going to talk about Blizzard and its games. Uh, with me, of course, are my two fantastic and not having a birthday co-hosts, uh, you know, Editor-in-Chief Liz and Amazing Shaman Joe. Uh, say hi, guys. Hello. So, um... I want to think. I do want to mention really briefly before we get up is that Cataclysm. You'll remember Cataclysm. I remember it because I was working in a different website, uh, one called. I'm just going to use the name. It's called Wow Insider. I worked there at the time. And never heard of it. Never heard of it. Yeah, well, it was, yeah, it was yeah. a little. It was a little thing. I'm sure you guys you know, missed it. it yeah, I, I was in it before yeah, it was yeah. cool. Um, <laughs> but uh, one of the things that I've always remembered about it was that it launched on my birthday, mm-hmm. and it specifically launched on my birthday in 2011. Uh, maybe 2010. I'm not sure. I think it is 2011 though. Uh, because I remember somebody commenting that it's the 10th anniversary this year. And there's a lot of, a lot of people have different reasons for disliking, for disliking uh, Cataclysm. But to me, Cataclysm is the transmog expansion. Mm -hmm. Cataclysm is the expansion where transmog was first introduced to us. So it is automatically the best expansion and it will never be topped unless they, I don't know what they could add to the game that would provide more enjoyment than transmog has to me over the years. Uh, so yeah, before we go on to actual news stories though, uh, Liz. Oh, I was going to wait for another news story. Um, hello everyone. I want to remind you that Blizzard Watch is supported by your Patreon contributions and we're doing a little pledge drive, uh, for the end of the month and, uh, trying to get some support going. And the thing is that, uh, we're a little below our desired goal of, uh, $5,000 a month to support kind of full site operations. We are as of right this second at $4,298 a month, which is actually, we've gone up a good bit since we started this. We were just kind of hovering over 4,000 a month. So Thank you to all of the supporters who have donated and upped their contributions and become supporters this month because that helps so much. It may sound trite, but you all are the reason you're here. Your support keeps the site running. It keeps the lights on. And we are so glad you are here with us, listening, reading, and supporting us, if you can. And I would like to read out the names of our new supporters this week. Uh, we have Barbara, Lottie, Nancy, Jeffrey, Jeff, Adam, Colvier, Mark, EJ, Rick, Armez, Brian, Benjamin, Ken, Verdigree, Gary, Andrew, Susan, Diana, Sumaxu, Mark, Coral, Kit, Andrew, Rally, Daryl, John, Matt, uh, Joe, Winterwolf, Zed, Stormy Seft, sorry, Stormy Steph, Andrew, Scott, Bruno, Incalescent, K, Mike, and Hulk have all joined us. Yes, I assume I that knew is you were like a good egg Hulk. <laughs> yeah, I assume that is the actual Hulk, which is that's really heartening to know that he listens and supports us. Thanks, Mark. We Ruffalo. are <laughs> we are so glad you are here with us. Every dollar helps us out. If you are listening to this podcast, then we have a $3 a month tier that you may be interested in because that gives you early access to all of our podcasts and you get the uncut version of these podcasts, which uh, mostly has the three of us on before before the podcast talking about 
all kinds of nerdy stuff. And we have ten five dollars a month where you get uh, an ads-free site experience. And at uh, twenty-five a month, you also get you can also get a character background written for you by one of our staff, like maybe Matt here, which could be for your Warcraft character, could be for your D and D character, whatever you want. But if you can financially support us, it helps so much. We really appreciate it. Thank you for everyone who supports us. Even if you're just giving us moral support, even if you can't afford financial support, we are glad to have you here. So thank you. Please support the site if you can. And back to you, Matt. I, I wish I had something really cool to say when you do that. Like back to me and I got nothing but thanks. Thank you to everyone who uh, does support us because it, it does mean the difference between being able to do this and not being um yeah, so we're going to move on and talk about other things. Like, for instance, this Friday uh, is Diablo 3 Season 25, um, which in addition to being the 25th season of Diablo 3, is also a bit of a celebration of the 25th anniversary of the entire Diablo franchise, which actually it's December 31st is the will be the official 25th anniversary because that's it, it was December 20, 20, December 31st. Uh, 1996 was when Diablo, original Diablo, went live when they launched it. Um, so yeah, 25 years. You know, you keep that in your heads. I was 25 to, to give you an idea of how old I am now. Um, so yeah, it's really something. It's a it's a really kind of amazing thing to think about. This is a little early, but you know, it, it makes sense to do it. You know, the the season that starts in December is a good time to to do an anniversary thing. And the season theme, the the Lords of Hell theme is very much it's a it is very very much a diablo original diablo reference it's the you know various greater and lesser evils are all involved in doing mischief back you know ever since the end of reaper of souls they're little pieces of those guys are wandering around and now you can collect them and stick them in your head because that's always a good idea I mean, it, it worked. Yeah, out. Nothing, no. nothing ever bad happened when, with that. Come on, we we yeah. have no track record or any knowledge of anything going wrong by shoving a stone like that into our foreheads. It is perfectly fine, healthy. In fact, it might cure all of your illnesses. At least that's what this copy that is saying that I'm having being told that I need to read. That's written in the blood of humans. Huh. Okay then. <laughs> Joe is you know, Joe Joe Perez, head of the Diablo Focus Research. <laughs> Regardless, yeah, that's that's so that's happening this season. Uh, we talked about it last last week, so I'm not going to belabor it too much. But it is really an interesting season. It's one of the more interesting ones. They've been doing interesting ones, like the Ethereum ones, Ethereum weapons from last season were also a reference. They were a reference to Diablo two, and they were obviously part of the idea was to synergize with the launch of Diablo two Resurrected. Um, so yeah, now they're just doing one for the the anniversary, and I'm actually really. <laughs> interested to see how it affects things i i did a revamp of one of our posts talking about leveling to 70 as fast as possible because i really do think if you get the right um you know headpiece and weapon gems early enough this could really change the way you're leveling um because each of them has specific abilities uh one of the ones that i really like is is kind of a unique idea it, it the the stone every time you deal poison damage it increases the damage and it, it reduces your cooldowns and increases your your you know damage that you deal. And there's another there's a gem that goes in the head that puts all your stuff on super long cooldowns, but gives you a massive damage boost. You you take 
13.5% less damage, and you deal 75% more damage when you use the this one. I believe that's the Shard of Hatred, but it could, it could be something else. It might be the Sliver of Terror. I can never remember which one, but those two pings synergize. If you use both of them, you'll basically <clears throat> you'll basically get your cooldowns back to where they normally are, but you'll still get the massive damage buff every time you use a cooldown ability. So they could come together really effectively to, to increase the way you play the game. And they definitely, some of the gems really do steer you towards a play style. Like one of the ones that I've really find interesting is the, the ball favored uh, destruction one. I think it's called essence of destruction mm-hmm. that allows you to just walk through mobs. There's no collision anymore. You just pass through them and you put a debuff on them. When you do that, if they die within seven seconds, you get a massive uh, refresh of all your cooldowns and power upgrade. And if they don't die in seven seconds, you take 2% of your health as damage. And it, it can't proc or be it can't be applied once you hit 35% health. But if you've already applied it, it can still kill you. Like this can kill you if you don't get it right. So it's a really high risk one to use. But if you get it right, uh, everything will die and you'll be practically unstoppable. So those, those tend to be my favorite type of like yeah. in games that, that do that. I, I always tend to, to skew towards high risk, high reward uh, because I think it's the most fun. Because uh, I'm going to say this, Diablo feels safe now. It has, Diablo 3 made you feel like a god. Um, it didn't do a very good job of of that same feeling of terror that Diablo 2 did. So something like this, where you can give yourself that same feeling of feeling like a god, but also have that, oh no, oh no, I done messed up. Oh, there goes my health. Like, I like that. I kind of like that balance. Yeah, I think in some cases, with, with the way Diablo 3 works, you had to keep pursuing higher and higher uh, rift levels or higher and higher torment until you basically max torment out to start feeling challenged. Uh, that is, in fact, a consequence of the Paragon system yeah. and the, the, the better and better gear. So I, I agree that there's there's interesting aspects to this that will affect the way the game plays. It will affect the way people levels. I'm looking forward to watching it in, in action and seeing which... Which uh, combination of head and weapon gems, calling the gems and shards, whatever, they're, they're gems. Whatever combination of those two works to, to, to get more players, and what do they use it for? Like Some of these are going to be really great for AoE farming, mm-hmm, and some mm-hmm. of these will be just great for, I want to be unkillable. Like you know, If you combine the, the, the one that reduces the damage when your cooldowns are up, there's another one that straight up reduces all damage you take and all damage you deal. But if you combine that with the one that increases the damage you you deal while you are in cooldown, you could basically be indestructible and still do slightly more damage than you normally do. Because the, the amount of damage reduced is like 50%, but the amount of damage increased is 75%. So you'll actually still be a little stronger than you normally are. And meanwhile, you'll be taking like less than half the damage you normally do. So that's interesting to me. That's a build that you could play around with. But that's all I've really got to say about Diablo uh, Season 25 because, you know, it, it, it's out in like three days. It's been on the PTR. Uh, there's something that I think we're going to talk about. I'm going to try. I think we should try and keep it spoiler-free as much as we can. Uh, but it is it is not really a spoiler, in my opinion, because it is exactly what I think most of us expected. Um, Patch 9.2 is on the PTR, and... As of like, I think Joe, you said like ten minutes before we started the the the, the pre-show. Yeah, Taryn Gregory tweeted it out, and uh, Wow had picked it up about ten minutes before the pre-show actually went live. Yeah. Um. 
Yeah, you go for it. I've I've seen it. I literally watched it when I got your email, but you go ahead. So we got a new cinematic. Uh, we're probably going to be talking about it more on Lore Watch, and there will be some heavy spoiler warnings with it. We got a new cinematic detailing what happens in the moments between essentially the end of the uh, Sanctum of Domination, Sylvanas getting her soul shoved back into her body, and what that winds up happening going to the uh, the next layer going to the the sepulcher of the ancients, essentially, um, or the the first ones, whatever we want to call it. Um, so, it, and it's not data mine. This is an actual release from Blizzard. So keep that in mind too. Um, so it's people are going to have really strong emotions about it, whether you love it or hate it. I want you to make sure that I'm and I am going to say this, even though I know I, I usually don't have to. But bear in mind, if you are unhappy with it or if you think it's going in a specific direction, it is one cinematic out of whatever else is to come. And make sure that you do not take your your aggression out on the people that made it. It is a beautifully well done cinematic. Um, just kind of hang in there for the ride. I, I will wait to do my my victory lap and gloating. And yeah, this is pretty much like Matt's right. This is this is a lot of this is, is what most of us called, except I think it's a little deeper than than what some folks uh than what some folks have expected. So Matt, you said you watched it just before we started. What did you think? Uh, well, I mean, everything you just said is true enough. It's, it is very, very good. Um, in terms of how I feel about it, that will have to wait till we have, we can actually talk about it with spoilers because yeah. I feel a lot of things about it, but I was struck a, by how expressive they managed to get these character models to be. They, they they abandoned some of the more the more pseudo realism that they tried doing and went back to the the more artistic style of of character layout and it really like I'm sorry I don't mean to jump in there but like I noticed the art shift a little bit and like that let them do such such deep expression like, it was really mm-hmm. oh man and uh, I often express frustration with the 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 game's focus on Sylvanas' character. Yeah. But I will say this, and I want this to be heard by people who think I, I always hate everything. Patty Matson is a phenomenal actress. Mm-hmm. And she has done an amazing thing in this cinematic, the effect that she has had, the, the effect she creates with her with just her voice, because she's not the one doing the moving. So she's doing it with just with her voice. And it is you have not heard her do this. You have you've heard if you've been what playing World of Warcraft since 2004, you've heard Sylvanas sound a very specific way. You've not heard this voice, and it is astonishing. It is really well done. It speaks Whether to the breath of you, her talent. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, whatever you feel about it, and I have feelings about it, and I will talk about them. We got Lore Watch coming up, so that's going to happen. But yeah, it it is an extremely well done cinematic. I still think it's one of the one of the places where World of Warcraft's team has got absolutely superlative people, and it is it always has, has been the the cinematics and in live story development groups. I mean, just just really, really well done. And there's also a bit of nostalgia, and I, I liked hearing characters say the things that I would say in this mm-hmm, position. Mm-hmm. I got to give it up to Bane. Bane is basically just you could replace Bane with me in a in a in a cow wig, and that's basically how I would react in that scenario. That that would be what I would have said. So, and yeah, I the like one thing, it. the I, one thing I would want to say too, for people watching it for the first time, especially if you're listening to us or in the live, uh, the live stream with us and you're watching it for the first time, really pay attention to the dialogue and don't just, don't just let surface emotions kind of run it. Cause I, I'm noticing that there's a couple, 
couple things that are going on with it. People are either having a very visceral reaction one way or another because of how they feel about the character and might be missing some of the context that are in. So just make sure you pay attention to what's actually being said. So, yeah. Um, Liz, did you get a chance to see it? I have not watched it. I walked in the door like five minutes before we started podcasting, so I haven't seen it yet. Um, I do tend to kind of, I don't pay as much attention to the story as the two of you do. Uh, particularly not before the before uh, patch releases because we don't have all the context for it and we get all of these bits and pieces. And I know this was an official release for Blizzard and I'll probably watch it this evening sometime. But, you know, I'd, I always think I'd rather see the whole story and we always see these little bits and pieces and people jump out to criticize or they're unhappy with something and... I don't always agree with the direction the story goes, but I'd rather see the whole thing than than catch these little tidbits. Yeah, I think an interesting point that Taryn made in his tweet was that this is being done to playtest people's ability to get the context. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. So which interesting. Is something I thought was fascinating. So yeah, I saw that I saw that tweet, which is why I was trying to also help and notate the pay attention. <laughs> yeah, there's there is a lot of context in this. There's a lot there's a, of subtlety. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff going on in the dialogue that I think would be really easy to miss. Um I've I've talked before about how people often make an assumption that if they don't like something, it's bad. Mm-hmm. And that it, it, you can dislike something and still recognize that it is a piece of quality art, that there is art in it, that it was well-made, that is well-crafted. Things don't always, you don't always dislike things because they're bad. Sometimes you dislike things because you simply didn't want them or some other reason. Yeah. yeah. And, and that's that's something that keep in mind as you, as you process whatever your reaction is going to be. As somebody who has expressed my opinion on this storyline before, I thought this was an extremely good cinematic in terms of it getting across what the story is. And the acting is amazing, and it, it's just, it is worth watching and paying attention to. But since we're not going to do any spoilers on it, we're now going to move on to talk about the fact that as of today, as we're recording this, Legion Time Walking is now live. Yes! Uh, in Shadowlands. Uh, another good thing you get on December 7th, along with the expansion that brought you Transmog. Um <laughs> Although I hear the Basically, Mage Tower is brutal. Yeah. Um, yeah. Liz actually, as after I'd written the email, Liz emailed back and was like, oh, and they've already, they've already hot fixed it. Yeah. They uh, yeah they've too. already done some, yeah, they've already done some changes this morning. So I didn't get a chance to read that because I was literally in the middle of trying to force a cat <laughs> to take, uh, you know, eye drops it doesn't want. So could you tell us what's going on with that, Liz? Um, well, see, I haven't tried all of the different mage tower scenarios but i did hear that this morning uh the tank challenge was just one shotting people or two shotting people that it was hitting really hard um they did uh, da, da, da. they i mean they've nerfed some of the things like and it was pretty pretty quick after the servers went up they nerfed a few things um i'm gonna be upfront. i expected that because Without your artifact power. We talked about that, didn't we? Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, we did. Some of the stuff hit really freaking hard. Mm-hmm. And you needed you needed the tanking artifact in order to get through it. So I was expecting some one shots. I'll be upfront. That's one of the one of the three reasons I haven't bothered even thinking about doing this this time around. Yeah, uh, so they have they have put out some nerfs and uh, what I've heard we we know, or maybe you didn't play during Legion or didn't pay attention and don't know. That the the mage tower during the time it was out in Legion got easier. It was kind of it was toned down, and we all got better gear as it went on. And uh, the mage tower now, 
uh, feels like it's on the high end of that tuning. So um, I went in and tried the healer challenge this morning a few times, and I did not get very far. It didn't feel bad to me. Have you given it a try, Joe? Not yet. It's on my list to do actually as soon as the podcast is done recording today <laughs> uh, is to go I, in and see what happened. Because I, I always had a hard time with the Helian one. I would get almost to the end when it was at current level, uh, even with fully powered up and like something would go sideways and I'm shaking my fist at granny. Um, so like, oh, yeah, I, I, I'm curious how it's going to go now with everything else with the conduits and everything that I have set up. Because I have a feeling that Kit plus con- like Conduits no. and Covenant are going to play a big role. None of your Covenant stuff works oh. there. None of it. Yeah, okay, so I'm just going to die. It's fine. Yeah. Yep, um, there we go. I went in and I didn't get very far. I never completed the healer challenge during Legion. I never managed to finish it. I, Like you said, I got to the last phase and I could never get to all the way to the end. Um, but I went in this morning a few times and it... It felt to me very similar. It felt similar difficulty level. I was not getting very far, but then I also hadn't made any effort to gear for it. I hadn't made any effort to like really prep for it like I know some people have done. I just wanted to check it out. And uh, it's kind of the same thing that you're healing the worst party in <laughs> existence. You are healing a tank that is dual wielding. You are healing two DPS that do not know how to get out of the way of things and just hang out, letting things hit them. Well, the ones, her hip hurts. I mean, she can't move. It's fine. And, I mean, it's just, uh, it, when things start hitting those DPS, they, they go down real fast. And I think that's, that's actually very similar to how it felt at the time. They were very weak. And you're supposed to keep this horrible party alive. And if any of them die, you have to start over. It sucks. Um... One of the really interesting things I think about balancing this for paladins, holy paladins in particular, is during Legion, we did not have holy power. We we could just use our mana to heal. Now, all of our powerful heals require holy power. And that has significantly changed how the class plays. And right now, a lot of our holy power generation is locked behind covenant abilities. It is, I'm a Kyrian, a lot of Holy Paladins are, and uh, it is our Covenant abilities that give us burst power and give us big healing power by letting us generate a big batch of five Holy Power to go. Without that, we can be pretty starved for Holy Power. We certainly don't have the kind of burst capability and AoE healing ability that we do in current content, and so you feel a lot weaker. It's very weird to go in and play without covenant abilities because they're such an essential part of our rotation right now. Yeah, I, uh, I, I'm not surprised, and I think it's going to be. I think a lot of of heal, at least on the healing end, uh, from what I'm hearing, your your experience is not uh, dissimilar to other classes as well. But we're just you're you're basically going in without half a toolkit essentially because it yeah. was it was yeah. balanced around the the artifact and like I mean. In my case, like art, the artifact for me at the time gave me a ton of AOE healing, like on top of my already AOE healing. So I was able to keep a party up pretty dang good because the artifact is like, here, have splash. It's great. Uh, oh, you, I mean, and let's not forget the fact that you don't have the legendary effects, because at that time, I think when Mage Tower was out, you're able to wear three legendaries, right? Yeah. So I don't know if it was three, but it was at least two. So you could have multiple effects on there. So like 
And some of those legendary effects were very, very strong. Let me put it to you this way. Uh, when I, I, when I, did, I, I did the warrior one as a tank. Uh, I did it on somebody else's character because I didn't care about the artifact appearances because they weren't going to be transmogable. And then they went and made them transmogable. And I was like, you Sansa. But one of my friends was like, you know, I can't do this. Can you come do it? And I'm like, you know, I have significant vision issues. It's like, yeah, but just, just come give it a shot. So I, I, he gave me his login. So I logged in from here and played his character. And uh, he had these bracers that created a healing effect every time you dealt damage. Or took I think it's dealt damage. I don't. I have to go look up what the bracers did. But they were like with those bracers, you could basically you could adopt a much more reckless tanking style because you would heal up constantly. It's the thing warriors are terrible at. Warriors don't have really good self healing. Mm -hmm. These bracers made it so you had good self healing, and now you could approach that challenge like like a death knight tank, and you would heal up more and as a result you could push the fight you could push your dps in the fight you you didn't have to worry about as, as much about surviving it that doesn't exist anymore those those legendaries you know, they're there in the game but they won't work obviously um you don't have them and you don't have the artifact you don't have the shield that the artifact puts up just i i i do not look forward to that man when i when i eventually start trying to get the the book mount i am not looking forward to, to doing it on a tank because yikes, that's not going to be fun. Yeah, I mean they've they've rebalanced. They've supposedly retuned this. You know, keeping all this stuff in mind. But I just don't know how you properly retune this to classes that are so different from what they were. And classes yeah, that it's don't been have two, the same abilities. Yeah, two, uh, three expansions. Yeah, from we end yeah. Legion, Battle for Azeroth, and now Shadowlands. The the mechanics are vastly different. So yeah, I, I that is something that's going to be worth watching. And uh, yeah, I mean, like at the time, you would have guides that were like real specific. Use your artifact power right here. This is when you need it. And uh, now you just you don't have that. You are you're playing uh, something that I find really interesting. For the past three expansions, we have been playing. Our base class has not increased in power, not at all. We've been given these borrowed power systems where all of our power is placed into an item or a system, and at the end of the, the expansion, it's gone. But the problem is, none of those systems are in place in the Mage Tower anymore. You don't have your Shadowland stuff. You don't have your Legion stuff either. So you are attacking these challenges with your base class. And right now, your base class is designed and balanced around having this borrowed power system of covenants, that is how the class is designed to be balanced. So they've put us in this challenging situation and they've taken away these extra abilities that are decided, that are designed to make our classes playable and balanced. And that feels really weird. I mean, it's yeah. like I'm playing, it's like I'm playing my class from Mist of Pandaria and I don't have anything. It's just, it's weird. It's weird. I, and I don't know how you balance for this or if they're going to hit the balance correctly. It is one of those things that is going to be a work in progress. I'm sure they'll eventually nail it. Yeah. But it will take a while. But um, one last thing, and then we should probably move on to doing some questions because we got quite a few this week. And this one I really want to do. Um, Liz, here's your time. What's going on with Honored and Fractured in Val Valley? Why is this a problem? Why are people yelling at me about it? 
<laughs> are, are people are people actually yelling at you about it? Um, yes, I get I get a lot of yells. People yell at me for a lot of things. I do a lot of blocking. Matt just thinks everybody everybody who talks to him because he plays a warrior, he thinks that everybody's yelling at him. <laughs> it's just how no. this works. Um, well, the thing is, the the new Hearthstone expansion, which went live today, is themed around Alterac Valley, and uh, they have this big, huge thing going on where when you participate in different uh, different Hearthstone battles, you earn honor. <laughs> Just like if you were PvPing in Alterac Valley. And it even says after you've killed after you've won a fight, it says HK Scout or whatever, you know, just like it does in PvP. Like do you remember? Yeah. Yeah. It would say honorable kill and the rank of the person you just killed, and it would just bump up on your screen. And so Hearthstone is doing the exact same thing right now. And one of the things I find really funny about that is there are a lot of Hearthstone players who have not played Warcraft. And so they would get HK scout and they're like, what, what does that, what's an HK? Like, like they would be really confused about it because this is like, it's totally stolen from Warcraft and over there it has no context. Well, not even that, like they don't even use that in, in Warcraft anymore. Do they like, even if you were to play like current day, like unless you went back and played classic, you wouldn't even know what that is. Yeah. It really feels like old school Alterac Valley. And that is kind of cool. Um, what I like less about it is that it is only in a very small number of game modes. It is in uh, Constructed, it is in uh, Duels, which is also kind of a halfway constructed mode, and it is in Arena. So if you are playing Battlegrounds, if you are playing Tavern Brawls, if you are playing Mercenaries, uh, and Battlegrounds is my favorite game mode, you won't see any of this. This is just going to pass you by. Um, but you know, as long as you're playing game modes in which this is uh, available, you will earn honor throughout the season and you will earn rewards from the honor you earn. You earn some honor from each game you play and you earn more honor if you defeat someone. And you earn, I think, the most honor if you defeat someone from the opposite faction. Uh, when you log on for the first time in Fractured and Alterac Valley, it will ask you to choose a faction. And you pick that faction, and that's the faction you are for the remainder of this uh, for this event. So I think it's really neat. I think it's really flavorful. And I've also managed to completely not participate in it so far because I'm mostly playing Battlegrounds. I'm playing around with mercenaries. I always do a lot of tavern brawls. And so I I kind of have mixed feelings about this. But I do I do think it's pretty cool. If you play Constructed, definitely log on. Check it out. Check out the new expansion, which 135 new cards. Um, and uh, yeah, I think it's interesting and it's also kind of not interesting. I really like it when Hearthstone pulls in things from Warcraft and sometimes it pulls them in and makes them feel more fun and more lively than they have in Warcraft. So yeah, it's nice. It's a fun little thing. All right. Well, uh, at this point, we're going to move on to doing some of the emails because that is the thing we do here. Uh, if you have an email or question for the show you'd like us to look at, you can either send it to podcast at blizzardwatch.com with the subject line podcast or blizzard watch. So we know it's for this show. Uh, in the past, I have stolen questions from Joe because we've been low on questions and he's done the same to me. Um, 100%. We're, we're like that Star Trek episode where the two like people like, or like one call like black on one side and white on the other. We're like that, you know, locked forever in eternal combat. Um, but also, if you if you're like right now saying why did he make that reference my god that's like ancient I am ancient it is my birthday I am very old um, 
If you don't want to send emails, uh, you can use our Patreon. We've got the Q podcast and question. It was, isn't it patron Q and podcast questions? Yes, that is a Patreon Q and podcast questions. Yeah. So if you have a question for us, you can put that in there. We look, we tend to look there first. Uh, I even got questions for this, this email from that one. Uh, or there's also the Q questions channel, which we look in for people who can't be patrons for whatever reason, because we understand that not everybody can do that. Um, but yeah, uh, I'm going to do something a little unusual here because there's a question in here I want to answer and it's my <laughs> birthday. So I'm going to read it out and then these two can answer it and then I can throw mine in afterwards. Uh, you said you wanted to talk about more games. What are your top five games from the last decade? Steve of the Steve Arenos. Well, Steve, thanks for the question. <laughs> I'm going to make, hold on. I'm actually going to do this. Yep. Yeah. Uh, Liz, you're up. <laughs> You know, I could talk about this for like an hour, my top favorite games. Uh, I, I, I'm going to cheat a little bit and say Mass Effect 2. Mass Effect 2 came out in 2010. It's a little further back than a decade. Really? It's man, only 2010? Yep. Yeah. Oh, wow. Which makes it, makes it 11 years old. Ah, uh, they re-released it. Count it. Fine. They re-released yeah. it. It counts. Yeah, okay. Yeah, re-released. Um. Mass Effect 2 was just such a great game, and for a long time, I didn't play it on release. I didn't play 1 or 2 on release, because I was like, oh, there's shooters, I don't want to play a shooter, and someone finally talked me into it, and it's just like, holy crap, no one told me what great games these were, and they're so much more than shooters. They, and I particularly focus on Mass Effect 2, because it's, it's really cinematic, it has a real feeling of being in a movie, like more than I think, I I just can't think of any game that did it as well as Mass Effect before Mass Effect. Lots of games have tried, but I think Mass Effect just really gave me the feel of of being in the middle of this sort of cinematic experience, being the hero of this cinematic experience, and all of the shots, like all of the cutscenes where you're interacting with other characters are really artfully designed. Someone thought about each frame and has made something that's like you could take almost any frame of this game and print it out and frame it and put it on the wall as a piece of art they're all beautiful every framing says something about the characters about the emotion going on about the scene it's such a beautifully put together game i really that's definitely my top game of the decade (laughs) figuring out a list of the next four would be harder uh, well, Mass Effect Three is definitely talk. on there. Joe can yeah, talk go off. Joe. I mean, I've got a, I've got a, a, a list of a few that I think are in my top games. I don't know how I would rank them. I mean, aside from we all know what my number one is going to be. I mean, there's there's no doubt in my mind that the top game of the last decade for me is Spider Man PS4, or if you want to call it Sony Spider Man, uh, one hundred percent. My that's my comfort game. That's my go to game. It's my favorite game. I think it's one of the few that have ever nailed the character, uh, the motion, the locomotion, and the interactions uh, perfectly. Uh, not just Peter Parker, but also Miles Morales, uh, and then giving Miles his own like mainline story, his time in the uh, the the sun, and giving him a headline like that in a time where a lot. I mean, most protagonists in video games are still mostly white people. Um, and this is not a shot at that, like, but it's it's one of those things like representation matters. So seeing somebody who is very close to who I am get like get like to headline a game that means a lot to me. So it will always it's going to be my number one probably until I die, like or until maybe the the next one comes out. Uh, but 
it's one of those just fantastic storytelling, fantastic pacing, fantastic characterization. If you have not played it yet, now is definitely the time to do it. The Ultimate Edition is on sale. Uh, if you have a PS5 or a PS4, it's worth picking up. Uh, Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild, I, which is weird for me. I love Zelda, but I hate Skyrim. Uh, it's one of those things where, like, I don't know why I just never, ever could get into Skyrim, despite the fact that I loved Oblivion. Uh, but Breath of the Wild, which a lot of people just jokingly call uh, Legend of Zelda Skyrim, just hit every possible right chord with me to the point where I have 100% completed that game three times voluntarily be, for whatever reason. Like, I just absolutely adore that game. Uh, it's it's going to be iconic for a reason. It's it's just it's fantastic. Um, the God of War game that came out for the PS4 uh, is probably one of my favorite video games, not just because of what it did. But it didn't do anything really groundbreaking as far as like gameplay goes. It was your generic third third uh, third person action RPG type game with mild puzzle solving and, and platform. But what it did is it took a very one-dimensional character, because let's be honest, Kratos is an exceptionally one-dimensional character, and actually gave, like, a new characterization to him to the point where I, I that's one of those few games that I would, like, roll around on the boat just to hear them talk, just to hear what voice lines they had recorded, what stories they would tell, what they would do. It was just that good. It made me care about Kratos, and I never thought I would care about Kratos. So I gotta give it... Uh, credit for that. And the other one that I'm going to call out uh, as far as like top games of the last decade is Bayonetta 2. I unashamedly love Bayonetta. I like the genre of games like Devil May Cry with the action RPG beat em up game system type things with light RPG elements. I like that. I love those games. I think Bayonetta 2 did it the best. And I, that's even with Devil May Cry 5. Uh, I would play that game. I still play that game. I, I've I have multiple copies of that game, and I think it's incredibly undersung. I think people don't pay attention to it because they just write it off for whatever reason. It has a lot of depth of combat. It has a lot of depth of character progression. Um, I personally love the fact that the character just gives no Fs about anything and is just who they are unashamedly, but it's just a fantastic game, and it really, to me, personifies that genre at its best. So that's my handful. Liz, you got any more you want to talk about? I would definitely say Dishonored. Dishonored 1 and Dishonored 2 are actually both out in this decade. I love these two games because they, you know, Mass Effect had this kind of saying, you can be Renegade, you can be Paragon. But one of the things I felt about Dishonored is that if you choose to be a good guy or a bad guy, uh, the world around you just significantly shifts that doesn't happen in mass effect you're playing pretty much the same game and in dishonored you are playing the same game but the world around you changes oh, quite yeah. a lot yeah. yeah you can go through and play it bloodbath murder everyone and you see the plague in the world around you get worse I, as you just leave i still have nightmares about those bodies. rats i still have nightmares about those rats <laughs> yeah the <ra> <laughs> It's a great game. I loved that you could do the whole game without killing anyone. Mm -hmm. Although, and up I, front, up front, sometimes doing the whole game without killing anyone means you do stuff so much worse than killing them yeah. that I felt bad oh, that I yeah. didn't kill them. Oh, yeah. You Some didn't like horribly disfiguring somebody with steam? 
Uh, there were some fates worse than death there. Like the um, one where you give the woman to the creepy guy yeah. who's like, yeah. obsessed with her. It's like, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, this is um, I should have just killed you. I felt for real your own dirty sake. on that one. Oh man. Or there is the religious leader that you brand as a heretic with like an actual brand, and it's like it would have been a lot kinder if you killed him because instead of being this religious leader or even an outcast. Like, literally, no one will talk to him. Literally, no one will do it, will ha- interact with him at all. And uh, you find him much, you can find him much later in the game. He has fallen victim to the plague, and he's like a plague zombie, you know? And so it's like he's gone from being top of the world to this, like, super tragic figure. And I mean, the guy deserved it. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. But, but still- also... It would have been much kinder to just kill him right there. And uh, Dishonored 1 and Dishonored 2 both do that. And I think you see the world around you shift really in really interesting ways. And I also, you know, enjoyed a lot of the challenges those presented with uh, choosing to do things in uh, violent or nonviolent ways. There's the that clockwork house in Dishonored 2. Oh, yeah. Where the floors and the oh, walls shift. Yeah, that was and, brilliant. Yeah, and finding your way through that was just kind of an adventure in and of itself. And you could play that where you didn't kill anyone and no one saw you. So you would get to the final boss and he would just be he wouldn't even know you were in his house. And you just drop in and kill him. Or drop in and not kill him, depending on how you how you felt that day. Uh, but it was such a strange little level. There was another level that was a time travel level where you went back in time and you had this like mirror thing that would let you go to the present and let you go to the past. And you would use that to get past obstacles, like something that was in your way in the present. You might go to the past and it's not in your way. Or you might go to the present and there's not a monster or a guard. And you might go back to the past. You know, you're just jumping around. and. There were some really unique things in Dishonored too. I enjoyed both of them a whole bunch. Um, Bioshock is another one that I really enjoyed. Um, I enjoyed the first two. That, again, is going back a little longer than a decade. Uh, the first one more than the second one, but they were both had just real... Again, that's a real... It's because it has a really interesting story. It's a shoot 'em up but it has this really interesting story in the background. And uh, Bioshock Infinite was that is in the past decade, and that's definitely like the most interesting of them because it went in this kind of it it went really tiny wimey there about alternate universes, and it has like I think the best DLC I have ever played in a game. Yeah, because that just went. Burial at Sea was phenomenal. Yeah, Burial at Sea just went real twisted and real. You know, you don't know what's real anymore in this game. You're, it's like you're shifting. Are you playing Bioshock Infinite? Are you playing Bioshock 1? Are all of these worlds the same? Are all of them different? Which world am I in? That actually reminded so, me a bit of that DLC from Bioshock 2. Mm-hmm. Uh, the one where you basically go back to Rapture and uh, you're, yep. like, you're working you're the- on behalf of an AI. Yeah. Right. Yeah, it, it, and that had a similar feel to it, although not as well developed. Yeah, so I think Bioshock series definitely, um, you know, I played Dragon Age a ton, but I'm not sure I would put it on my list of the top ones. Uh, maybe? Like, I love Dragon Age and uh, Dragon Age Inquisition. I have played so many times, 
but it also has a lot of flaws, and I recognize more of those the longer the game has been out. Um, so yeah, I haven't quite gotten to five, but that's I think that's as close as I'm going to get. Okay, well then I'll I'll take off and start. Yes. First one is going to be Titanfall Two, uh, yeah. because a Titanfall Two is the game that developed that time travel thing that you just mentioned that Dishonored ripped <laughs> off from it. Uh, I'm not kidding. There's a whole level in Titanfall Two where you get a, a time device and yeah. you go back and forth to get around obstacles and avoid fights and so forth. And it is it is very much exactly like the thing in Dishonored, except a year earlier. <laughs> um, but to also Titanfall Two did the amazing thing of making me care about a, a game that is not my genre. I do not like, you know, it, it's essentially like a, a multiplayer, you know, smash them up game where you fight, you play, you pilot a giant robot and you fight other people piloting giant robots and you jump in and out of your giant robot to try and shoot people with, with handguns and machine guns. And then you go back in your giant robot and try and kill them with a giant robot. It shouldn't be a game I care about. It shouldn't be a game I liked. It shouldn't be a game I want a sequel to, but it absolutely is. Because they they basically made the the Titan the the machine such an important character and such a well done character where this is a performance where the actor is not really allowed to show much emotion in his voice and yet manages to get across the emotion of this the mm-hmm. machine is itself a character and there's there's just a lot to it I, I recommend people go play it because it's not a very long campaign I think it's like twenty hours. Yeah, all it's told, the story 20, is 20, not 24 hours, something like that. Yeah, it's not a long game, but it is extremely well done. And, uh, and, it is good. And just so you know, they came, they were Titanfall two and Dishonored two released a month apart, not a year. Okay, so Titanfall two still did it first. Um, but regardless, uh, besides that one, um, another one I'm going to mention is Horizon Zero Dawn, mm-hmm. which I can't believe neither of you mentioned because there's uh, too many uh, good games on that list. Yeah, Matt. like, they, like but, we could sit here yeah. and have an entire episode. That was- that was actually in my head, and then I started talking about Dishonored, and it yeah. just it vanished out of the out Horizon of the Zero Dawn. I mean, Joe was talking about God of War, which is not on my list. Not that it's a bad game, but I when I a couple years back, I had not had a PlayStation Four. I did not have one the whole time that the PlayStation Four was was big. Uh, but a couple years back for Christmas, they were they were selling cheap, and so my mother in law got me one, and it came with three games. Uh, it came with uh, The Last of Us, which I played for like five hours and was done and never went back to it. I, I don't like zombie things or anything like that. And it's close enough. Um, then I went and played God of war and I played through God of war and thought, yeah, this is really good. Uh, they, they, everything Joe said about Kratos, they did, but I didn't find the gameplay satisfying. I thought it was, as Joe also pointed out, the gameplay is nothing special. Um, the, the, the story is actually really special, but the gameplay is not. Then I played horizon zero dawn, which is, an amazing game to play with a ton of stuff going on has an astonishingly well-realized, well-acted fun character and is a chilling. The story starts off and you think, you know where it's going and then it gets to where it actually is going. And it's like, it is a chilling indictment of so much of the modern world wrapped up in this adventure story about hunting giant robot dinosaurs. It is one of the best games by far of the past 10 years. It, the fact that it is just now getting a sequel is astonishing to me. I'm amazed that they didn't start rolling them out immediately after, but I think I, they it, did. And they just, they took their time because they it, didn't yeah. want to, they didn't want to mess it up. I'm hoping that the new one is, is as good as the original because the original is phenomenally good. It is one of the best games put out on the PlayStation bar none. Uh, it is, I think it's on, I think it's on game pass now too. 
Uh, not not maybe the place the PlayStation now. Yeah, it's on PC. It's on PC, but it's not. Yeah. Yeah, it was, it was released. It was released for PC in the last year, I believe. What, the yeah. reason I, the reason I pointed it out is if you don't have a if uh, people should play this game, and if uh, you, yeah, if you don't have a PlayStation, you, you can yes, get it for PC. Exactly. And you absolutely should, absolutely. So that's that's the one. Those those two so far. Uh, the third one is going to be the the game I played instead of Skyrim, and to this day, I think I made the right choice. Uh, Kingdoms of Amalur Reckoning, which has now been re-released by THQ Nordic as Kingdoms of Amalur Re-Reckoning. Uh, Ken Ralston wrote the story uh, with assist from R.A. Salvatore. Uh, Todd McFarlane did a lot of the, ca- the character design art. Um, it is it is, it is is a bog-standard story. It is not a particularly... It's, it's got some unique little twists, but overall it is, you know, you're the chosen one who will mm-hmm. deal with this fantasy threat. Except the reason you're the chosen one is because... No, you don't have a fate, and that means that you're not fated to do anything. So they can't prepare for you. There's no, they can't make, they can't have prophecies about you. Nobody knows what you're going to do, and you can change other people's fates because you can do something that's not supposed to happen. That's the one element I really like about the story. Otherwise, it is a bog standard. Bad fantasy people are doing bad fantasy. If you read things any, read in, yeah. read in the Ra Salvatore, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it, it is. It is not super complicated, but the gameplay is a just really good it's just it is it takes the idea of that kind of first person act first slash third person action rpg story and it it actually makes the mechanics part of telling the story fate shifting is phenomenal it's just really good and there's enough character estimations you can feel like you own the thing yourself and there's it's not quite open world not quite because you have specific regions that you can go into and out of and there's like there's there's a segues between them but it's pretty close to open world and uh yeah i just absolutely love that thing that is it is one of the best you know just if you like skyrim ken ralston is the guy who did morrowind yeah he did a lot of the elder scrolls and i feel like this is what skyrim would have been had he stayed there you know what i agree i 100 percent agree with you like are you saying that you're saying that i can't believe i never thought about that but yeah you're 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 spot on yeah but um those so that that's three. Uh, number four is going to be Assassin's Creed Odyssey. To the surprise of absolutely no, no one, one who's ever heard me talk, uh, it is the only <laughs> Assassin's Creed game to this day that I've actually cared about the main character. Uh, if you play Cassandra, if you play Alexios, I, I didn't like him as much. Uh, but if you play as Cassandra, it is. It kind of feels like if you took Mass Effect Two, which isn't a great game. It's, I'm just not listing it because it already got mentioned. Uh, if you took the, the idea of Shepard from Mass Effect Two and put her in ancient greece that's kind of where it goes but cassandra is such a different character than anybody i'd seen before cassandra is one of those people who you'd expect her to be like a proto batman you'd expect her to be like an Ezio, where she's like all grim and growly because horrible things happened in her childhood but she's not yes she's angry about those things and she definitely wants revenge but she still tells jokes mm-hmm, she still mm-hmm. has time for goofy fun with her friends she still has time like she can go from from like kind of like a little almost dorky to I will destroy you and it works. You believe it. Like there's a one one scene I absolutely love. I tell everyone about it. It's a bit of a spoiler, but in the opening of the game, the opening by the way is is astonishing because it you don't even realize until a certain point that you were just in the opening and now the game is starting. You're like, well, "I've been playing this for 5 hours. What the heck?" Yeah. 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 So, but there's a part where 
Cassandra has found the the Cyclops, the the bad guy who's been trying to send people to kill her and and otherwise being just a jerk. And he's currently effectively dunking a man's head repeatedly into a water pot uh, as a kind of torture. And you you show up and you're like, let him go. And there's this awesome moment where he tells, he yells to Cassandra, you know, give it to me or I won't kill so-and-so for having you steal it. And you look at him and you just, she turns her head in such a way that she doesn't have to say anything. The animation of just her gesture is enough to convey that. Are you serious? Mm-hmm. Like it's, it, it's beautiful. The game is, is, is broad and expansive. It, it does what the Witcher games want to do in terms of the scale and scope of its world. The boat scenes are awesome. Um, I, I love some of the side quests are just hilarious. Um, yeah, and and it is the it is the one uh, Valhalla tried, and I give it props. I I did like Valhalla, and I did play it, but Odyssey is just so much better. It is the best Assassin's Creed game, in my opinion, and I doubt they'll ever top it. Odyssey um, does a better world building job. If I have, if yeah. I'm going to compare the two, because I actually I I played Valhalla on your recommendation. We we traded games at one point. Yeah, Matt and I traded games. Mm-hmm. So like Matt was super into Cyberpunk 2077, which I'm surprised he hasn't gushed about yet, which I hope he will. Uh, but I was playing Cyberpunk 2077 while he was knee deep in Valhalla, and then we swapped. And I yep. can honestly say I think Odyssey did a better job world building than Valhalla did. Valhalla is not a bad game, but no, Odyssey no, was not. just fantastic with world. Yeah, I, I think part of the problem for Valhalla was simply the fact that it was too afraid of things that had been introduced yeah. in previous games, and yeah. it wanted to be more like the original ones, and that was unfortunate. But since Joe segued for me, uh, the number five is Cyberpunk 2077. And I know people are all going, what? But the game was awful. And the thing is, is A, it wasn't awful. Uh, but B, that's an example of how studio culture can ruin a game's chances to make a good impression. Yeah. Um, not not just studio culture, but studio culture and review culture. Because there, there, is, I, I, there yeah. is a thing with that, too. Yeah, and review culture. And for that matter, just the culture of game development in general, which we have been talking about a lot this past year. Mm-hmm. And so I'm not going to belabor it, but I will say this. Had that game waited an extra three more months, yeah, it still it would have been better, but it still wouldn't have been fixed because the crunch culture that designed and built that game was never sustainable. And Joe has pointed out there are whole patches of that game you see that you can tell something was here and they pulled it out. Yep. So that's all true, and and I cop to all of it. If you if you've got a complaint along those lines. Yeah, but the thing Cyberpunk 2077 does much better than I thought it was going to is that you you think your character that you're playing is the character of this game, but it is not. The character you're playing is just an element of this game. The city is the character. Yeah, agreed. And I think Night that's a, city, that people miss that point, I think. Yeah, Night City is the character. You will see, you will learn to understand Night City through this protagonist that you are playing, but that protagonist is simply a vehicle by which, and the thing is, is that they're really well acted, both male and female V, although I, oh, I love, Jeremy, Lin does an ama- Jeremy Lee does an amazing job as, as female V, I would but agree. they're both good. They're both really good. Yeah. Uh, Keanu Reeves is Keanu Reeves. I don't know, you know, you, what do you want? He shows up and he's Keanu Reeves. But as my wife pointed out, he is playing a very different character than he usually plays. Yeah. Because the character that John, that Keanu Reeves is playing is a complete colossal bleep. And he he's playing Johnny still, Silverhand to a T. Yeah. To yeah a he tea. makes you actually like him by the end of the game while still understanding this is a terrible person. Because he acknowledges throughout the game. Yeah. Like he does it in that, in that, that way that I think only, 
only he could do playing this character says, yeah, no, I know I'm a, I'm a, I'm a jerk. I know, I know what I am, but at least I know what I am. Yeah. Like, and, and there's, there's a lot to it. There's a lot to talk about that. I don't think we have time for cause we're right up against the time. I right think we now. are, but I mean, I, finishing out with this, I think is, this is another game that I want to, I just want to jump in real quick. If you haven't had a chance to play it yet, this is the time of year to consider maybe doing it. It's not a perfect game, but cyberpunk 2077 is really good at that thing that Matt just pointed out. It is a masterclass in how the setting of a game can be a character. And Matt and I have been playing tabletop role-playing games forever. We've played cyberpunk. We've, we've played yeah, all the, game, yeah. we've played this back in the day. And this, the video game does such a very, very good job of capturing the feel of night city and what actual night city is and it being its own living, breathing entity that will eat you and like eat you up, chew you up and spit you out. Like that is, it it does a fantastic job of it. It really does capture the feel of it. It is astonishing to me how well this game gives you the feeling of a world that is just falling apart. And And the reason the world is falling apart is people. And the city is, the city is the way it is because people, and it is, you know, what's, what's the, uh, the old saying, I think it's Camus, hell is other people. A uh, night city is other people. And it is the people you run into and the quests you do. There's this one quest in particular. I, I, I always remember where you just, you, you just happen to find the nomads that you've worked with before having problems with some quote unquote scavengers and you, you get involved and you can, there's so many different ways. Like Liz was talking before about dis- about dishonored and about how dishonored, you know, you, you the things you do affect the world. Cyberpunk 2017 doesn't quite get there. No, but your reputation definitely changes how things play out. And and and, and it's really to, to go ahead. Quick too, like there, there's a DLC coming out for the game in the in the future. They are working on it. And I'm normally not a big proponent of DLCs, but something I've been getting asked by people who played the game and know that I played the game, uh, ask with the endings we got, how can there be a DLC? And it's well, as soon as you accept that V isn't the main character, that it is just a vehicle. Well, literally. This way. Yeah. If you played dishonored, you know that they did the death of the outsider mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and that's doesn't have Corvo or Emily in it or anything. It's different characters. That's how they can do. It. You yeah. could absolutely have different characters in the DLC. That being said, I want them to bring V back because I loved V but yeah, absolutely. It is not the story. It is Night City's story. But f- because I don't have time to also go into like a like a honorable mentions thing. Plus, Liz talked about a lot of them. Quite frankly, uh, a lot of the stuff. And Joe hit a couple that I would have hit. So at this point, I'm going to be done. We did the entire show pretty much on this one email as as we knew we would. But I mean, it's wait. my birthday, so I wanted to get it. <laughs> we almost we almost started doing this question at the end of last week's podcast. And I yeah. was like, no, this is going to take us an hour. This is just by itself. Because we we could like we 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 like oh, you yeah. that are listening to this. We play a lot of games. It's not uh, while this is the Blizzard Watch podcast. It's so much more than that. Like we we accept this. The people that make the games that we we love play other games as well, and you can see the influences throughout it. So, getting the chance to talk about you know some of our favorite games that we've played in the last decade, 
Thank you for that. And I hope that all of you out there get a chance to talk about your favorite last the last decade. Jump over to our Discord channel, pop into one of our our, our either our Patreon support uh, supporter chat channel or our general chat and maybe strike this up. This is a great topic, especially this time of year with all of these games going on sale or, you know, with uh, secret holiday shopping or whatever going around. It's a great excuse to maybe pick up some of these games or or see what other people are enjoying and maybe take a gamble. Like you can pick up uh, Cyberpunk twenty seventy seven. I, I like I saw like a flash sale for it for twenty bucks. Yeah. Like, like, or I mean, there's games that we didn't mention that are also amazing. Like yeah. not, I know a lot of people haven't played Hades. Hades Absolutely, is phenomenal. Hades is an amazing game. The fact that it's not on my list is purely because I didn't play it as much. Uh, it is a really great game. I unfortunately am visually impaired and. Being disabled is not a problem for some games, but it is a problem for Hades. Oh boy, you have a hard time playing that thing if you can't see everything on the screen. Um, but yeah, I think at this point we're going to close it out. Uh, do you, Liz, do you want to do another Patreon thing or do you want just Joe to, t- to take us out? Um, well, just the standard Patreon thing, which is <laughs> someone else has the has the regular yeah, I got text it. for well, that Joe, one. Joe's got it, so go so ahead. Th- this is part of our standard outro, folks. You guys have heard it, uh, well, several hundred times now, if I, my count of podcasts is correct. Uh, Blizzard Watch is made possible due to the generous contributions at patreon.com slash blizzardwatch. Your continued support means this podcast lighting community is able to thrive and grow. Blizzard Watch supporters enjoy exclusive benefits like early access to our podcast, a better chance at having your question answered on our podcasts or the queue, and an ads-free site experience. Uh, thank you very much, Joe. Uh, I want to take this quick moment to say thank you to everybody who listens and you know, participates both in the site and in this podcast and the other podcasts we're doing, uh, because I, I've been doing podcasts for Blizzard Watch since Blizzard Watch started. Um, I, I was on the first episode of the first Blizzard Watch podcast. I don't think I've missed more than one episode. Uh, and I'm terrible at doing podcasts. I am the worst podcaster you're ever going to meet. And these people managed to make me look like I know what I'm doing for six years. So I think we should all celebrate the accomplishments of the staff at Blizzard Watch for making that possible and for making me getting to talk about stuff like this possible. Thank you guys so much. Uh, Thank you, everybody who listens. This has been the Blizzard Watch Podcast, and we'll talk to you next week. 